1 Corinthians 12, 12 says, for as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. So Paul is trying to bring this Corinthian church into unity. They have found lots of reasons to be divided, lots of reasons to be critical of each other, to find superiority one over another, whether that's economic or now, whether it's because they're valuing certain gifts that they've been given. God has given to every believer spiritual gifts. These are not natural talents or abilities that you can learn. These are gifts of God. It's part of the package of salvation. And he gives them to us so that we can be useful to one another. And we can serve each other. And ultimately, Paul will say to care for each other. And instead, in the Corinthian church, they've divided over these gifts and they've had some that have placed higher than others. And it's caused the things that should unify them, like the Lord's Supper, the things that should unify them, like the fact that they all are part of the same body, instead are dividing them. So he begins this next section having talked to them about the different and varying gifts of the Spirit. He says, for as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that body being many are one body, so also is Christ or the body of Christ. So if someone asks you how to describe the church, how would you do it? I asked my son this question. I said, how would you describe the church? It's a building, it's got walls and a roof and a steeple. He was joking, obviously. But for some, that's how you would describe, well, the church, it's that building. And it's those bricks and mortar. It's the steeple and it's the doors. And, but that's not how Paul, if you ask him to describe the church, he doesn't say it's a building. He says it's a body. It's one unit, but has a huge amount of variety and diversity to do what it does. It's like a human body. The human body is collectively the most complex machine known to mankind. What we call a complex unity. All the parts serving together in a coordinated manner to accomplish everything from reproduction to consciousness. 99% of the mass of the human body is made up of only six elements. Oxygen, carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen, calcium, and phosphorus. We, our human body, has roughly 37.2 trillion cells, give or take a few trillion, 78 different distinct organs, and 12 body systems. We have a cardiovascular system. And you have 60,000 miles of arteries and veins and capillaries. For every one pound of fat, some of you are going to groan at this, for every one pound of fat, it takes seven miles of circulation to support it. Some of you are going to start your diet as soon as you walk out of here. (laughs) Your blood vessels laid out would wrap around planet Earth 2.5 times. And blood travels 12,000 miles a day in your body. You have a digestive system. Two pints of saliva you make a day. Between 1%, no, isn't that crazy? Between 1% and 3% of your body weight is from bacteria in your gut. Food will still digest even if you stand on your head. Some of the kids are going, I want to try that. Sorry, parents. And you have 22 to 23 feet of small intestine. And they're finding out an important connection between your gut 
and your mental health. Things that still are being discovered about your human body. Your endocrine system, your hormones and your glands, a chemical communication system that exists inside your body and it uses hormones and eight glands like the adrenal gland, the pituitary gland, and it affects almost every organ in the body. And you have an immune system. Now, the immune system is awesome. It protects the body from infection and invasion, and it helps in the healing process. You have these little white blood cells called killer T cells. I just think that's just cool. Anyway, 25 million up to a billion of these killer T cells in your body, and they are your body's special forces. They patrol your body through your bloodstream looking for invaders like viruses, and they attach to them and destroy them. They are the seek and destroy patrol of your body. Your integumentary system, you know what that is? It's your skin, your hair, and your nails. It's the largest organ in your body. Your skin is an organ. Skin is 15% of your body weight, and every inch has the exact stretchiness for its location, and it's waterproof. It regulates your body temperature and replaces itself. Every 28 days, you have a whole new layer of skin. What happens to your old skin? How many of you are clean freaks and you like to dust your house? You're sweeping up you. Like, that's old you. Out you go. Ah. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation every 28 days. <laughs> your muscular system, I'm going to run through these quickly. Your muscular system, you have more than 600 muscles. The strongest for its size being your jaw muscle, which can close with 200 pounds of force against your molars. The heart is the hardest working muscle, pumps 25,000 gallons of blood a day. And the eye muscles are the most intricate, making 10,000 coordinated movements in an hour of reading. Your nervous system, 100 billion neurons in your four-pound brain that sits between your ears. They communicate electrically and form the most powerful supercomputer known to mankind. Skeletal system, 206 bones, 32 teeth. Every bone connected to another bone except one. It's called your hyoid bone, and it's located up under here. And then your reproductive system, lymphatic system, respiratory system, urinary system. I hope that going through this puts you in a sense of awe. You should look in the mirror. I don't have enough faith to believe in evolution. I just don't. That takes a lot of faith. When we look at the body, we see the intricate design and the amazing coordination. And I highlight this because I want you to be inspired with a sense of awe of your human body. Because I want that same sense of awe to transfer to a sense of awe we should see and have at the beautiful coordinated workings of all the various parts of the body of Christ. We have too little appreciation for the body of Christ. As the body, the human body is one and has many members, many parts, lots of diversity, but all of those parts of that one body being many are one body. You don't say I have 12 body systems, but you're only one body. And the same thing with Christ. I want you to leave here with a greater sense of appreciation for the body of Christ. I want you to leave here with a greater sense of desire for participation in the body of Christ. I want you to leave here with more grace for the variation in the body of Christ. And I want you to leave here with a sense of resisting isolation from the body of Christ. How many bodies do you have? You have one body. How many bodies does Jesus have? Well, I don't know. There's the Methodists, the Catholics, the Baptists, the non-denominational. No, you've missed the point. It's one body. Next time you drive past the Catholic church, 
wave to a part of your body. They're part of you. We understand that God created the human body, all of its variation, all of its complexity, and all of its unity. But how does God build, create the body of Christ? Well, verse 13 tells us, for by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Whether you're Jew or Greek or a slave, remember there are lots of slaves in the Roman Empire, whether you're a slave or you're a free man, whatever your background, whatever your label in the world, you were baptized into one body and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. What does every believer on planet earth have in common? We've all been baptized into the body of Christ by the Spirit of God. See, Jesus, some of you are familiar with the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Jesus, the Son of God, second person of the Trinity, he baptizes us with the Spirit. But then the third person of the Trinity, the Spirit of God, his job is to take us as believers and immerse us into the body of Christ. We become united together with Christ and we become united together. Sorry to say, folks, you're stuck with me and I'm stuck with you. We become part of one another. So one of the things that the Spirit of God does in a person's life is to draw us to other believers. And if you're not drawn to other believers, maybe you're either not saved or you're quenching the Spirit. Because the Spirit immerses us into this family, into this body of believers, this group of people called the body of Christ, called the church. And so many people think that somehow sitting home and watching TV and hearing a sermon is the fulfillment of all that Christ has for me. Boy, I hope that's not it. My experience has been way more than that. Now, the question is, I know what it takes to become part of a church or denomination. I mean, I show up at a building, I sit in a seat, I agree with their doctrinal statement, I come forward and I say I'm going to join this church, and they have a little ceremony, and then I sign on the dotted line, and they put me in the membership. And all of that in a quarter won't even get you a piece of gum these days, will it? Your membership in a local church does nothing for you unless you have already been baptized into the body of Christ. And no human being can do that for you. No church board can do that for you. So there's a lot of people that are members of a church, of a church, but have never been saved or baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ. And I think we confuse that to the detriment of the church. Just because you've come and you've sat and you've gone through the motions doesn't make you a believer. Just like because you sleep in the garage doesn't make you a Ford or a Cadillac or something. doesn't matter. Only the Spirit of God can do this. You can't do it. A church board can't do it. A congregation can't do it. Only the Spirit can do it. So that's why we minimize church membership, Calvary Chapel. Look, if you have been baptized by the Spirit, if you're saved, baptized by the Spirit in the body of Christ, then you're a member of the body of Christ. And you may choose to fellowship here or the church down the road or wherever you might choose to fellowship. But the membership that really matters is that you are part of the body of Christ. And that's a miracle. And only God can do that. No human being can do that for you. The Spirit's job is to immerse people into Jesus' body to join us to him and to each other. And look at the variety of the people here. Look at the variety of the people that Paul is speaking to. 
Jews and Greeks and slaves and free and male and female, young and old and black and white and all across the board, all those distinctions dissolve because our new identity, we are part of the body of Christ. When someone asks you, well, are you saved? You don't say, well, I'm a Methodist or I'm a Baptist. You say, I am part of the body of Christ. Yes. Those labels just disappear. But the Corinthians, and sometimes we put too much emphasis on those labels. The Corinthians had fallen into segregation. They believed that certain people were more important than other people, and certain gifts were more important than other gifts, and those that had those gifts were clearly more important than the ones that didn't. So Paul has to spend a lot of time helping to show them the power of, and the necessity of, and the design of both diversity, the differences, and the unity, the cooperation of the diversity. So verse 15, he says, if the foot of a body should say, he sort of personalizes them, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? So Paul asks five rhetorical questions here and makes one statement. There's a problem that he senses in Corinth of feeling inferior or of not feeling like you belong because, well, I'm not like that guy, or I don't have the teaching skill that that woman had. Sometimes you've looked in the body of Christ and you sort of put some people up on a pedestal. You know, it's the pastor or one of the Bible study teachers or the person that leads prayer or the people that have those amazing spiritual gifts or the musicians. And we go, oh, I can't be like that. And then you go, I don't even know if I belong. And I tell you, Satan wants you to think that way because Satan wants you to be isolated. So he puts those thoughts in your mind of, well, you have nothing. Who do you think you are anyway showing up? You're not as spiritual as the rest of those people there. You have nothing to offer. Think about the difference between a foot and a hand. The foot feels inferior because it's not as gifted as a hand. I mean, look where the foot is. We walk on it. It's on the bottom. It's dirty. People shake hands, but they don't shake feet. People say, hey, can you give me a hand? They don't say, can you give me a foot? We have fist pumps and high fives and clapping. But there were some feet people in Corinth that were just feeling and probably made to feel inferior. I'm not as smart as this guy. I'm not as gifted as that person. I can't play an instrument. But does that mean you're not part of the body? Paul says no. The key is to figure out what it is you really enjoy doing and do it whether it's big, whether we would consider it big or small, you have something to offer. People think, well, you know, the person that sits home, watches TV on church, feels evidently like they have nothing to offer anybody else. The body of Christ is a place where you have an opportunity to minister and be ministered to in some small way or some larger way. What do you like to do? You like to cook? You like kids? You like to cut grass? You like to drive? You like to write cards? There's all kinds of places where you can become useful, maybe it's a small place, but isn't that okay? Isn't that what Paul's saying? Maybe it's a less significant place. Look what he says in verse 17. I mean, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, if just one big ear, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members. Look at, did you see that? Verse 18, but now God has set the members. He's done it on purpose. The same way he created your human body, it's meant to be a sign. It's meant to show you 
what the body of Christ is like. But God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. He puts you, he gave you, he uses you just where he wants you. And the challenge is when we get jealous of other people, well, I want to be where that, I want to be a hand. I'm tired of this foot business. People don't like me, they don't like to look at me. I smell. But where would you be without your feet? I mean, how would you get from place to place? God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? I mean, think about it. If the whole body were just one big eyeball, we'd just be rolling around and we'd see stuff, but we couldn't do anything about it. Just one big, giant eyeball. Hey, what's the good in that? It can do one thing it can do, but that's it, limited. But the variety, oh, it's empowering. It's beautiful when that variety is cooperating together. Some gifts may be more desirable and even more useful, but it doesn't make the person who has them superior because God has chosen to give that person that gift. Why? I don't know. It's his choice. God has chosen to give that person that ability, that giftedness. Why? I don't know. But they're both important. And that's what he says in verse 20. But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. You see the repetition of this? And Paul is driving this home. And the eye, because this is happening in Corinth, the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. One part can't judge the value or necessity of another part. It's not that part's job. I mean, what good is a church where everyone speaks in tongues but no one teaches or everyone gives, but no one goes and so on. And what good is that? You know, we've got all this DNA in our bodies and scientists would look at the DNA and only a certain amount of it actually codes for proteins that actually make something. The rest of it, scientists say, well, we don't know what it does. So we'll just call it junk. And so they called it junk DNA just because they didn't know what it did. But now scientists are finding out that actually the thing that they didn't understand what it did, this junk DNA, are like switches in the body turning things on and things off, have hugely important roles in our lives. So just because you don't know what someone does, you don't understand what they do, it doesn't mean they have no value. Your special gifting is useless by itself because whatever it is you do, it's meant to bless other people. See, we get together in our little I church and get all excited that we're all an I. Look at all, we're all together. Oh yeah, we validate ourselves. We're all an I. And we can see how things really should be, but we can't do anything about it. And I like this because the pressure's reduced because nobody has to do everything, but everybody has to do something. And the problems arise when some do nothing. I mean, we got this appendix. Some of you are like an appendix. Like, I don't know what the appendix does. We don't know if we even need it, but God put it there. I don't know what it does. Tonsils. We got some tonsils in the body of Christ. You know, they have a purpose, they have a function, but it seems that we could do without them. I don't know. We don't always understand, but that doesn't mean they're not part of the body. When you take your tonsils out, you didn't say, I got tonsils out. You said, I got my tonsils out. They were part of me and they took them. Verse 22. No. Paul says, no, you can't have that mindset. He says, no, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. They seem to be feeble. And those members of the body, which we think to be less honorable, 
on those we bestow greater honor, and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. So he shows how there's all these differences in the body of Christ and the way God has made a human body, paralleling the way he's made his church. He says, there's some parts of us that are presentable. They're the parts you see in the mirror. I mean, some parts of the body just get all the attention. Some parts of the body are the ones that are seen, they're in plain sight, and they're the parts we get compliments on. Oh, she has great hair. He has great muscle tone. They have pretty eyes or a beautiful complexion. And those parts are on the outside. They're built a little tougher. But the vital organs, God put them where? On the inside. They're a little uglier. I mean, when's the last time you looked at somebody's kidney? I mean, think about it. When did you ever hear a young guy interested in dating a young girl say, man, she has a great pancreas. What about a young girl saying about her boyfriend that he has an irresistible liver? Oh, what a liver. Those parts, I mean, I'm glad my 23 feet of small intestine are hidden from you. I don't want you to see that part. I'm not proud of that part. It's ugly. We deem it to be ugly. But I'm glad my 22 and 23 feet of small intestine are doing their job right now. <laughs> and we're glad our heart is pumping and our our liver is doing and our kidneys are doing because we don't notice them until they start complaining. And then all of a sudden, there's a whole body shutdown. It's amazing how one little part of your body can cause a shutdown in the whole thing. See, the vital organs get less attention because they're more fragile, they're feebler, so God protects them on the inside. But which would you rather do without? You know, your eyes or your heart? Sometimes the more vital things around the body of Christ take place privately, unseen. Nobody sees them happening. Their administrative meetings, their prayer meetings, their two people getting together over a meal and praying for each other. They're the people that clean the bathrooms on Monday morning. You know, they're the people that set things up and take things down and fix broken things and cut the grass. And all of these things are happening. And again, lots of this is private. You know, somebody that just knows somebody else in the fellowship and makes them a meal and takes it to them. And no one ever knows. And there's those that serve at the soup kitchen or the nursing home. And they serve in obscurity. But have real important places, real vital ministries. There's unpresentable parts. The reproductive organs is what most say Paul is referring to. And those we give greater honor by covering them with clothing. So all of this, it says, God composed or he co-mingled the body, having given greater honor to the part that lacks it. So that part that we don't honor as much. See, I'm just a big mouth. That's all I am. I'm just a big mouth. I'm a big mouth. That's what I am. And I'm here and I'm present and you see me. But you know, can I be honest with you? Sometimes I'm jealous of you guys. There's a part of me that I'm studying and I'm speaking and I'm public, but there's a part of me that just loves the silent service of the body of Christ. Just to be able to just go out and take a meal to somebody or do this thing, or, you know, and I always have time to do those things because I have to study, because I have to be ready for Sunday morning because I have a teaching role. And you don't have that pressure. Anybody say amen, thank God it's you called to do that, not me. But see, isn't that beautiful? Like God composes the body that some parts are public and outward, but other parts are private. And God says he gives more honor to the parts that are private, that don't have honor. You know, I get 
in a public role. Nick gets in a public role a certain amount of honor. People say, oh, Pastor Thad, you so blessed me with your ministry and we have live streaming and radio and all that's happening. And so I get a sense of honor from what I do, which many of you don't get from the ministries you do. And you can become jealous of, why doesn't anybody notice me? Why doesn't everybody recognize me? Trust me, God knows. And when we get to heaven, we are going to be really surprised at the housing situation. You're going to be driving through eternal Beverly Hills going, where's Steve's place? Uh, He's on the other side of the tracks because he got a lot of honor on earth. And so the ones that are going to get honor in heaven are the ones that didn't get so much honor on earth. And that's the way God designed it. Some are rewarded now. Others will be rewarded in that way later on. So verse 25, it's what's called a heinous statement in the Greek. It's in order that, not so this is possible, but so there's a definite result that there should be no schism, no division, no dissociation in the body, but that the members, pay careful attention to this, this is really, really important, but that the members should have the same care for one another. The gifts of the Spirit are not for my personal aggrandization not to put myself in a superior place, but there so I can minister to other people, to care for other people. The end game of church is not that we show up and pull off a Sunday service. That's not the end game. That's not, oh, we've done church. We've shown up on Sunday. We've listened to a message. We've sang some songs. We've even said a little prayer. And ah, we did it. That's not the end game of church. The end game of church is that all through the week, the gifts of the Spirit are involved and working in people's lives and you're ministering and caring for each other. That's what he says next, verse 26. If one member suffers or literally feels or experiences a sensation of pain, then all the members suffer or sympathize with it. Anybody have the flu recently? Don't raise your hand because we're all going to avoid you if you do. There's hand sanitizer outside. But if you get the flu, it's not just like, you know, part of you, your blood doesn't get sick. And the rest of your body's going, man, the blood is so weak. And we should get rid of them weak part of the body. When's the last time you stubbed your toe? Let me see, the relationship is so connected that pain in one part of the body brings a response in the other part of the body. There's a ripple effect. That's how connected we're called to be in the body of Christ. I mean, I can tell you a story from my own body. Walking on the beach in Hawaii, I know you feel sorry for me, a number of years ago, I got distracted. There were sea turtles up on the beach. And so I got distracted and I'm looking at the sea turtles and I wasn't paying attention to my feet. I didn't see the rock sticking out of the sand, and my foot got slammed into the rock, and one of my toes suffered the hardest hits. Toe number four took the brunt of the pain that hit the rock. And it set off a response in my whole body. My brain is immediately aware that something bad has happened. My tear ducts begin to release tears from the eyes. And I think I was speaking in tongues. I was like, something was happening in my mouth, and the brain knew that the part needed care. Listen and signaled the hip to bend and draw that part closer to the body. And the hands were dispatched to reach out and just hold and comfort that part of the body. The other leg had to be empowered to take all the weight of the body temporarily because that part was hurting and couldn't bear any weight. It needed to rest. See, a healthy and God-glorifying body that the world looks on and says, whoa, those people really love each other. When we care for each other that way, when we, instead of cutting people off, what if I stub my toe and the brain said, you know what? Toe number four is weak. Jettison toe four. 
We can't afford to have a weakened body. You know, we've got things to do, places to go, people to see. Just cut it off. No, we don't cut each other off. We're not lions. We don't eat our young. We care for each other, especially when they're hurting. Now, if you're toe number four and you get hurt and you go, well, you know, it's the eyes. (sighs) They hurt me. Now I'm broken. You're hurt by another part of the body and the body reaches out to you for care. You can resist that. You can become gangrenous and then you fall off the body and you die spiritually dislocated. It's not healthy. Never seen anybody healthy that has been separated from the body of Christ. You're meant to reconcile, to heal, to repair so you can return to the unity and your place in the body of Christ. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. Verse 27. And now he gets practical to them. And God has appointed these in the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers. After that, miracles, then gifts of healings, helps or literally to give aid, administrations, literally acts of guidance or steering and varieties of tongues. So again, I'm not going to go into detail what all these are and what they all do. I think you know many of them. Paul already shared a list with us early in the chapter. Now he shares a list. Some of the things are the same that they were in the first list, but other things are added. He sort of gives a hierarchy, first, second, and third, apostles, those that are sent out. Sometimes you read the book of Acts and you feel guilty that you're not the apostle Paul. And when we teach the book of Acts, we send this message that everybody has to be the apostle Paul. That the whole church should be missionaries. That's not true. Not everybody's an apostle Paul, but somebody is an apostle Paul. Somebody, God is going to say, I want you to go plant a church. And then the church is going to support that. I mean, how does this work in the body of Christ? How does this really work itself out? How do I know my spiritual gifting? You know, if a young boy was to come running into the church sanctuary, carrying a cup of hot coffee, mom said, hey, I'm not allowed to bring coffee in, but you're a kid. You can go get it. They won't stop you. So you come running down the aisle with this cup of hot coffee. And right about row seven, this child trips and falls and hot coffee goes spilling everywhere. And he hits the floor. What would happen next? Some of you that have the gift of helps would start running for paper towels. Others with the gift of administration would start organizing the cleanup effort. Then the givers would be thinking, oh man, that's a huge stain. We're going to have to replace the carpet. I'll write a check. The people with mercy gifts are praying and attending to the burn victims. The teachers are explaining to the child why he should not have been running. And there's no coffee in the sanctuary anyway. While the prophets are saying, I warned them this would happen one day. (laughs) You're the body of Christ and you're members individually. And God has given all of these different things in the church. Apostles, prophets, those that speak the word of God, teachers, those that just share and they, they labor to study and to explain truth. Prophets are sort of making statements about God and about his kingdom. After that, then there's miracles and then there's gifts of healings and, and all these different varieties. And notice tongues is there in the list. So if we dissolve the gift of tongues for today, We also have to dissolve helps. And I don't think we want to do away with either of those. So we ask some rhetorical questions. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? The answer to all those questions is what, church? No. 
They're all rhetorical means. They all demand a no answer. We should expect some to have the gift of tongues. But for those that say that everyone should speak in tongues, this clearly answers that question. You misunderstood the body of Christ. Some should, but not all will. We should expect some to venture out in church plant, but not all. And then he says, but verse 31, earnestly desire the best gifts. And yet I show you a more excellent way. Well, pastor, what are the best gifts so that I can desire them? I don't know. Maybe it's the best gift you need for that opportunity of ministry that you have at that time. Sometimes Paul might say the gifts that minister outwardly are the best gifts. He's going to raise up prophecy as a tremendous gift in the body of Christ. But he sets the stage for the wonderful chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, which is coming up next. Did you see that? He says, and yet I show you a more excellent way. And that, my friends, is the way of love. And that will encompass all of chapter 13. You can have all these great spiritual gifts, but if there's not love between us, then what a monstrosity the body becomes. Are you with me, church? So what I'd like to do as we close, I don't want to rush out. Just pretend I'm still preaching, which I really am right now. But I don't want to miss an opportunity. Again, I mentioned being you know, membership and church membership, and I'm not knocking churches that have a church membership. What I'm saying is human church membership without being baptized into, not by water, not a water thing. Baptism means to be immersed, that I become part of something. I'm immersed into something bigger than myself. And I have an important part there. If that's not your case, if you have never been saved, then you've never been baptized in the body of Christ. And if you've never been baptized in the body of Christ, you are not unified with Christ. You are not one with Christ. And when you die and you face eternal judgment, your church role, you were part of the Baptist church, the Methodist church, or Calvary Chapel, that's not what God is going to be concerned with. Were you united with my son in his death? Were you united with my son in his resurrection? Were you united with my son in his eternal seat at my right hand? Are you united with my son seated around the table? I'm not going to ask you, well, how many good things did you do and how many bad things did you do? At the end, it all will come down to, have you been joined to my son? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ for your eternal life? So if there's somebody here that can't say that for sure, then I want to invite you to join us in the body of Christ, to trust Christ with your life and enjoy and experience the greatest crazy family believers on the face of the earth. We ain't perfect, but we're getting there. Amen? Amen.